From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mum always said, life was like a box of chocolates. The force will be with you, always. I'm your number one fan. <laughs> Welcome to the Business of Film. I'm Simon Rose in conversation as ever with James Cameron Wilson as we dissect what's been happening in the world of movies. But the world of movies is rather narrow at the moment, James. We're all experiencing it at home instead of in the cinema. It's a great shame. I've been hearing from friends abroad for whom that is not a problem. Most, most annoying. Indeed it is. And I'm here to keep you on your toes and always surprise you. And this week I am not going to be reviewing a single film on Netflix. What do you think of that? <laughs> um, well, unusual, but as you point out, there are plenty of other platforms around. What's extraordinary, I think we may have mentioned this before, is how it was so recently that cinemas was compl- were complaining because uh, Netflix f- um, movies were being uh, garnered with honours and barely shown in cinemas. I mean, thank goodness that Netflix got its act together when it did. Indeed. Now, I was quite excited when I first heard about this film, which I am about to review, as I thought it was a light-hearted documentary. It's called The Glorias. I thought it was going to be a light-hearted documentary about the various connections that linked Gloria Swanson, Gloria Estefan, and Gloria Vanderbilt. Alas, it does feel like a documentary. There is a lot of news, newsreel footage, but there is nothing light-hearted about it. This is... Um, Gloria Steinem. Do you remember Todd Haynes' I'm Not There? His 2007 yes. biopic of Bob Dylan, in which the singer-songwriter... Yes, enjoy it. Depicted Nora. by umpteen people. Well, yeah, uh, Bob Dylan was played by Christian Bale, Richard Gere, Heath Ledger, Ben Whishaw, and Kate Blanchett. It's an interesting dilemma. How can one actor perfectly capture every facet of another human being, especially someone as multifaceted and complex as Bob Dylan or Gloria Steinem? Here with the Glorias, available on Sky Cinema, the American director Julie Taymor attempts to get beneath the skin of the activist and feminist by casting four actresses to play her at different stages of her life. But as time is a linear concept dreamt up by Western civilization, she mixes up the dates and the actresses so that at one point all four glorias end up on the same bus together. Yeah, I'm afraid it's Mm. that sort of movie. (laughs) Julie Taylor has always tried to push the envelope, sometimes successfully, her stage version of Disney's The Lion King was a theatrical phenomenon. Her 2007 film Across the Universe, less so. An illustrated handbook of the songs of Lennon and McCartney, it was a jukebox musical based on a story dreamt up by Dick Clement, Ian Lafrenet and Tamer herself, but without a a cohesive story. I don't care if a film is a documentary, an erotic fantasy or a musical pastiche. It needs a good story to engage its audience. That is what cinema is all about, telling stories. Mm -hmm. There are, of course, exceptions. Fantasia, uh, Powers Katsi, and the concert for Bangladesh. But even documentaries like March of the Penguins, Citizen Four, Man on Wire, they tell us stories. 
Of course, the biographical film is a notoriously difficult genre to pull off well, which is why movies that take one episode of a character's life, like My Week with Marilyn, Me and Orson Welles, Mank, Darkest Hour, Sid and Nancy and Shekhar Kapoor's Elizabeth work the best. It's enormously hard to condense a great life into two hours or even three. Here we have a film that boasts the presence of three Oscar-winning stars, namely Julianne Moore, Alicia Vikander and Timothy Hutton. And while they're all very good in their own right, they're not given enough time to register our empathy. The film starts in black and white with the various glorias gazing out of a bus at the colourful countryside outside. My heart was already sinking. But even as the film zips back and forth across the universe and a young Gloria will put her head on the shoulder of an older Gloria, the narrative does, does fall into some form of chronological narrative. And so we start sort of at the beginning where we are introduced to the nine-year-old Gloria played by Ryan Kira Armstrong and her parents, the anxious ailing Ruth Steinem, Enid Graham, and the happy-go-lucky Leo Steinem, played by a chubby, unrecognisable Timothy Hutton with Helena Bonham Carter hair, whose catchphrase, if you don't know what happens tomorrow, it could be wonderful, stays with Gloria throughout her life. But ultimately, Leo is a loser, and money is a problem, and eventually Gloria's parents part their ways. The next Gloria, played by a 13-year-old Lulu Wilson, is forced to act as nurse for her mother while sneaking off to tap dance with a local black girl at a barbershop that has the right linoleum to boogie on. The plaintive guitar riffs on the soundtrack, courtesy of Elliot Goldenthal, who happens to be married to Julie Tamer, warn us not to get too cosy. And we cut to India, where Gloria has transmogrified into Alicia Vikander, traveling third class with the native Indian women. What Tamer is telling from the start is that Gloria Steinem was happy to mix with women and girls from other cultures, and the feminist and political activist became a totem more than a flesh and blood character. And while Tamer attempts to keep our interest with flashbacks, fantasy sequences, newsreel footage, and even an animated insert, it actually alienates us from the woman we should come to care about. And when Alicia Vikander mutates into Julianne Moore, the political and social causes take center stage as Gloria and her cohorts fight for the rights of women and blacks, lesbians, abortion, Native Americans, and anything worth a placard. It's like being bit beaten across the head by the complete works of Germaine Greer. The best part of the film is when Gloria struggles to make her mark in the male-dominated world of New York journalism, and we are privy to the horrendous male chauvinism therein. There is nothing quite so galling and ergo-gripping than ball-faced prejudice. And at this point, I was ready to burn my own bra. But then the film succumbs to one damn speech after another, which is ironic, as initially Gloria is shown to be terrible, terrible at, pub, at public speaking. And what annoyed me even more was the quantity of film extras that nodded at everything expounded on the podium. 
No, I know that Americans tend to nod in agreement more than the British. But to me, it seemed terribly false, mm. uh, as if the extras had been instructed to nod as it, often. In as television news, James, they, they mm. are known as noddies. It's when you do the reverse shot, show when the... In, it, showing the interviewer sort of nodding along to what the person he's interviewing is saying. Okay, I think yeah. a few years ago, there were uh, the BBC actually decided to try and outlaw it because people were noticing it and were laughing at it. Right. OK. Well, ultimately, then, I was not involved in Gloria as a person, mm. only as a figurehead. And when the film ends with yet another sermon broadcast across the planet... I was very relieved for it all to end. A lot of this was familiar to me, largely because I had seen the FX miniseries, Mrs. America, last year, which covered the same ground and which had more style, pep and wit in a single episode. Here, Rose Byrne and only Rose Byrne played Gloria Steinem. And the nine episodes seemed the right length to cover all the events and characters of the women's movement. The Glorias, though, seems both too short and yet too long to cover its subject matter, being a bizarre, didactic and, frankly, loopy take on a remarkable woman mm. on whose memoir, My Life on the Road, it is taken. And I do love Alicia Vikander and Julianne Moore, but I found it pretty boring. Oh, that's a shame. James, I don't think you mentioned, but I may have missed it, where it's actually showing then. Not Netflix, we know, but... No, it is on Sky Cinema. Sky Cinema. James, thank you. Probably a good moment for us to take a break. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose in conversation with James Cameron Wilson as we look at the business of film. So where now, James? Well, from one biopic on Sky Cinema to another biopic on Sky Cinema, this one, The United States versus Billie Holiday, follows a more conventional route and unfortunately is no less successful. It does, though, have a barnstorming performance from Andra Day as Billie Holiday, a singer who has never starred in a film before. One could say the same of Diana Ross, of course, who made her film debut playing Billie Holiday in Lady Sings the Blues back in 1972, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. And the word is very strong for Andra Day to land her own Academy Award nod, a prospect made all the more likely by her Golden Globe uh, win uh, the week before last. However, she has strong competition from Viola Davis, who perhaps ironically plays the mother of the blues in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So prepare yourself, Simon, for the Oscars So Blue backlash. It's hard to say which performance is the greater, which may work in Kerry Mulligan's favour, who is still the favourite to walk home or walk back to her bedroom if she's on Zoom, with the golden statuette on April the 25th for Promising Young Woman. But these things change weekly and shock horror. Kerry Mulligan came away empty handed in the BAFTA nominations this week. Maybe she wasn't hot enough. But back to the United States versus Ooh. Billie Holiday. Sorry, that's a, that's a dig against variety. Right, I yes, think she's I know, terrific I in it. Yes. <laughs> uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday. This was the landmark court case in which the government, in American government in 1947, was terrified that the singer's most popular song, Strange Fruit, might light a torch under the civil rights movement. But of course, you can't really arrest anybody for singing a song. So they assign an undercover agent, Jimmy Fletcher, played by Trevant Rhodes, 
of Moonlight fame, uh, to spy on her. In the event, she is arrested on the charge of heroin possession and sentenced to a year in prison. What is clear is that Billie Holiday had a terrible life. She was largely abandoned by her parents, endured an attempted rape at the age of 11, and was put into protective care and ended up working in a brothel all before she was 12. The facts seem to vary from one reference to the next, but it seems hardly surprising that the singer sought solace in the arms of illegal substances. And this was her undoing in more than one sense. The United States versus Billie Holiday is obviously then a tragedy, but because, like the Glorias, it tries to cram in so much, we are never really allowed to get under the skin of our protagonist. Unlike Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, although it was somewhat undone by its staginess, it was set during the course of one day. This biopic skips all over the place, with two of the most dramatic moments washed away in stylistic flourishes, underscored by a song or two. While Andrew Day is sensational as Billy, and of course the music is terrific, mm. the film lacks an emotional centre. While Jimmy Fletcher makes for a fascinating narrative foil, his whole backstory proves to be yet another distraction from Billy's own story. In fact, I think the material might have worked better had Jimmy Fletcher taken centre stage, if her story had been filtered through his eyes, he is at once her saviour and her downfall. He falls in love with her and wrestles with his own demons. I, I think it might have served better as a documentary. Um, if you consider those two outstanding documentaries on Whitney Houston, Kevin MacDonald's Whitney and Nick Broomfield's Whitney, Can I Be Me? Uh, this, there's just so much material. I've already stressed how difficult it is to pull off a successful biopic, and this is yet another example of how not to do it. I also found the one characters bordering on caricature, while the catalogue of racist abuse, drug-taking, sex scenes and cabaret acts worked against the human being beneath the drama. She is shown to be spiky, a difficult person to be around, not unlike Viola Davis's Ma Rainey, but I felt denied a moment of truth that might have made her a more empathetic figure. There is one scene between her and Jimmy Fletcher, which is surprisingly frank for a mainstream Hollywood release, that shows what a victim Billie Holiday has become on an almost default setting. It's the one moment that has really stayed with me and is illustrative of Andrew Day's extraordinary talent. Okay, James, that's uh, The United States versus Billie Holiday, also on Sky Cinema. Where now? Indeed. Well, it's that time of year when we, the critics, have caught up with most of the highlights of the award season and are sifting through those titles that are basically cannon fodder until the cinemas open in May. I know I wasn't wildly kind about The Glories or The United States versus Billie Holiday, but they are masterpieces compared to Wander Darkly. This is basically ghost without the narrative cohesion or the humour or the romance. It's about a couple who seem to exist in a parallel world in which figures come and go like fleeting memory, memories while Sienna Miller and Diego Luna bicker constantly. It's essentially a two-hander in which the viewer has no idea of what is going on other than that Adrian Sienna Miller is a very confused woman. She's always crying and trying to kill herself because she's fed up with being dead. 
I wasn't sure while watching Wanda Darkly, which is written and directed by Tara Meal, as in making a meal of it, mm. I wasn't sure whether it was the most irritating film of the year or a deeply profound, deeply personal psychological mystery, which only really makes any sense by the curtain call. But the, that's no way to tell a story. Mm. Not that there really is a story. I am a huge fan of Sienna Miller, and she certainly gives the film her all. And she's seldom been photographed so closely, so intently by the camera. So this is definitely one for Sienna Miller completists, although I can't think of anybody else I could re recommend it to. There are, however, some very nice shots of some dolphins, <laughs> all of which... That, that'll go on the poster, James. <laughs> <laughs> all of which makes me very sad, as Wonder Darkly is a very rare animal in that it is not only the writer-director is female, but so are the four producers, the cinematographer, editor, and the production designer. And it's a beautifully made piece. It just drove me nuts. Mm. If you are a CNA completist, you can catch it on various platforms on the video on demand, courtesy of Universal Pictures. You did, sir. I think it might have been only last week that sometimes when you watch a film, it makes you realise just how hard it is to make a good film. <clears throat> yeah, it hasn't been a great week. <laughs> OK. Well, we can probably now discuss the BAFTA nominations which uh, i mean since the baftas moved was it, over 10 years ago i think from being uh they were I'm trying to think when they were they were about april but they moved to being a couple of weeks ahead of the oscars and since then of course have increased in importance at least as far as uh, the baftas themselves are concerned as being a sort of precursor um i remember the old days they often had trouble getting hollywood stars to come over but that has not been the case in recent years i'm not quite well sure they're going to be hard year. pushed this yeah, year yeah exactly exactly <laughs> So what can we say about them? Some surprises. You've already mentioned one of them. Well, indeed. I'm just trying to think, when are the Oscars? I mean, the nominations are this uh, March the 15th, uh, which is next week. Yes. I think both the Oscars and the BAFTAs are now in April, aren't they? But um, next month. But I can't remember exactly when. Uh, the BAFTAs are on April the 11th and the Oscars are on April the 25th. Right. Okay, so still the fortnight between them. Okay. Well, in the entire film, uh, in the entire time I have been a film critic for <laughs> years, mm. I have never known such an astonishingly unpredictable raft of BAFTA nominations. Well, I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that BAFTA members were very early on sent, something, sent links to videos saying that this is how you can decide to vote without your normal prejudices coming into view. BAFTA is very concerned to make sure that it was not the standard... Um, you know, predominantly white middle class sort of males who won out in everything and they wanted to be as diverse as possible. So maybe they've got <laughs> diverse this year. <laughs> oh boy, haven't they? I mean, when you think that the last time a female, a woman was nominated for Best Director was Catherine Bigelow for the 2012 Zero Dark Thirty. Hmm. That is a long time ago. This year we have four, which even beats out the Golden Globes. Uh, while it is commendable that... Now, I, this is a list, I'm afraid, but I think it's an important list. They have nominated in the acting categories Daniel Kaluuya and Dominic Fishback from Judas and the Black Messiah, Riz Ahmed, Tamar Rahmin, Chadwick Boseman, Radha Blank from the 40-year-old version, 
Wunni Musaku from his house, Alfrey Woodard from Clemency, Ashley Medekwi for County Lines, Adash Gurav from The White Tiger, Yu Jung Young and Alan Kim for Minari, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Clark Peters for Da Five Bloods, and Bucky Bakray and Kozi Koza Ali for Rocks. They've all been nominated. The shock was who wasn't. No Kerry Mulligan, no Gary Oldman, no Viola Davis, no Amanda Seyfried, no Sasha Baron Cohen, who was nominated for two Golden Globes and won one, no Oliver Coleman, no Sophie Loren, nor even Delroy Lindo for Spike Leeds to Five Bloods, who was the favourite since the film premiered back in June of last year. So that's 16 acting nominees of ethnic minority backgrounds out of the 20 categories. It has been a long time coming. Uh, particularly, I mean, last year, all 20 acting nominees were white. Um, it's interesting. I was talking to a film producer yesterday who said that he knows a lot of people, a lot of, I mean, you're a BAFTA member, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I don't know anybody who's seen half of these films. And he was as dumbstruck as I was by this. And I, I think it's a wonderful thing. But I just wonder if, well, if really the BAFTA members have seen all these films and have really um, voted for them. The, the, there was an instruction this year. Every BAFTA member was given a set of films that they had to watch, um, which I think were fairly haphazardly um, uh, allotted. So you were not only going to watch the the really successful ones, but you were supposed to watch a, a I can't remember how many, but about a dozen, I think, uh, whether you wanted to or not, essentially. Really? So they couldn't just pick the well-known ones. Really? That's very interesting. Well, I think the, the ones that everybody knows about, and well, is Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, and she was terrific in that. Who would have thought? Um, she is the own, uh, and Frances McDormand, of course, for Nomadland, who is, uh, I voted for her as well. Um, and Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen. I mean, th these are minority actors. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Father and Mads Mikkelsen for the Danish film Another Round. And which for Best Supporting Actors. Yes. yes, indeed, which I liked enormously. Uh, the only non-ethnic character in the supporting actress category is Maria Bakalova, who was terrific, I have to say, in Borat subsequent movie film. And for supporting actor, we've got Paul Ratchie or Rachie for Sound of Metal and Barry Keehan for Calm with Horses, which I have yet to see, I have to admit. Mm. It, it is quite extraordinary, but you seem to know more than I do being a BAFTA member. Uh, I do, James. I mean, because of illness in the family, I've actually abstained from um, the early rounds. Uh, in any case, I didn't feel that I had watched enough to be able to vote. The problem is there are just so many films you need to see, and in order to be able to to, to vote properly and honestly, you have to actually watch them, as you say. But um, you know, uh, yeah, there are many films there that I haven't seen, and I'm not even sure I particularly want to see. Mm, yeah. Uh, we well, but, uh, I think but the best film categories does have 
you know, some interesting movies. I mean, the, you know, that's the father of the Mauritanian, Nomadland, promising a woman on the trial of the Chicago 7. Yes. And a lot more outstanding British film nominees, Calm with Horses. The Dig, which I'm thrilled about. Mm. The Father, His House, Limbo. I'm not even sure I've heard of Limbo. The Mauritanian, Mogul Mowgli, Promising Young Woman, Rocks, and St. Maud, which actually got more nominations uh, in the London Film Critics Circle Awards than any other film. Well, we shall find out then if the Oscars are going to be similarly um, interesting when the nominations come out very soon, and then we'll find out in April on the 11th for the BAFTAs and the 25th for the Oscars uh, which films actually do come out on top. James, thank you so much. Indeed, James Cameron Wilson will be back with more movies at the same time next week. All my life, I've been waiting for someone, and when I find her, she's... She's a fish. You're tearing me apart! Why so serious?